Whether you drive a car, need a car, or just occasionally bum a ride with friends, you've come to the right place. Join Jill and Tom as they break down everything that's going on in the auto world. New car reviews, shopping tips, driving green, electric cars, classic cars, and plenty of great guests. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. All right, this is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Thanks for uh, thanks for joining us today. Hey, when you get a chance, do me a big favor check us out at consumerguide.com big news site is all new we just redesigned it really uh, really proud of what we've done so check that out all right she's the managing editor of pickup truck plus suv talk her work can be found all over the internet and she's taking a mental health day in her place is good friend of the show brendan appel brendan how's it going i'm doing great how are you tom i am good thank you thanks for making the trip here today uh, always a pleasure in studio Absolutely. The only place to be. Uh, Brendan is, of course, one of the head honchos over at the Sons of Speed. Tell us about the Sons of Speed. Sons of Speed is a automotive outlet dedicated to the passion that cars bring to people. So our, our sub tagline there is redline your soul, which is something that we love to say because that's what cars make us feel like. They, they really get into that, that place inside where you just want to wring the performance out of a car. You love the way it drives. You love the way it sounds. That's us. You can find us at sonsofspeed.com. Um, we are also part of We Are Motor Driven, right. which is a conglomerate. And if you go to YouTube and just search We Are Motor Driven, you'll find all of our videos as well as a lot of other great stuff. I did that today. Awesome. So you've got Auto Exotica there, you've got The Median, and Rides and Drives, and you guys. And us. So yeah, you're, you're getting great all of outlets. this great content, and you only have to go to one place to do it. Now, you guys have also started, or you've been doing it for a while, and we haven't talked about it, and that's hosting Facebook pages. Yes. A bunch of them. A bunch of them. So we, we just started doing our own, which is, uh, of course, called Sons of Speed. But the one that's really kind of taken off on us uh, unexpectedly is called Road America Fans. So yeah. if you're a fan of Road Road America or just racing in general. And we happen to think that Road America is probably, it definitely is the premier racetrack in the country and possibly the world with the exception of the Nürburgring. Um, <laughs> you can go to Facebook, search for Road America fans. You'll see this really nice uh, shot of a NASCAR, Chevy NASCAR number 45 there with flames coming out of the side. That's us. Just go ahead and uh, join and we'd be happy to have you there and talk about Road America and racing. The thing about Road America is 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 that the venue is so entertaining. You don't necessarily have to care about racing to have a good time with folks who do care about racing there. It is like a giant party and so much more. You know, everyone talked about NASCAR and how the infield was basically a party. No one even knew when a race was going on other than the noise going <laughs> in a circle around them uh, half the time. Road America is kind of like that. There's so much to do. They have stuff for the kids. They've got zip lines. They have a go-kart track. They have just great food, camping. Uh, there's an off-road trail that they, I'm hearing, may start opening to the public. We've been using it in the media here for yeah. a long time. But uh, with our, our rallies that we go to every year. But uh, it's just a fantastic place. The area around it is beautiful. Kettle Moraines in in central Wisconsin is just some of the best roads to drive. So just making a trip up there to see a race, to experience it, is definitely got to be on the bucket list of any car guy or car girl. Took my daughter and my wife up there a couple times a long time ago for the June sprints. Yes. And those are fun because that's all, that's all amateur racing. Yep. Um, and, and you can walk around the track. You can just pick your corner and watch. And it's always fun to pick the places where you know people are going off-road. 
<laughs> exactly, because that's where the, all the action is, Canada Corner being one of those places. Yeah. And you know what? If you are a little more adventurous and just watching a race isn't enough for you, there are so many car clubs and different organizations, including Road America itself, that does track days. You can drive your car on Road America, the same place all of the top racers in this country do. So it's just a wonderful, wonderful place to get out to. And like I said, just find us on Facebook. It's a, it's a group. It's not a page. It's a group. It's called Road America Fans. Okay. And we'll be happy to have you there. And for people who don't know, Road America is like 40 minutes north of Milwaukee? Yeah, it's it's two and a half hours from us, I think. Yeah. So it's about, Not far. Not far. And it's pretty. Beautiful. Once you clear Milwaukee proper, it's kind of a nice drive. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Good stuff. So anyway, we were going to talk about some cars that we had both driven recently, and you had spent some time in a rather absurd but utterly enjoyable vehicle. (laughs) I laugh because it's so nuts, but so much fun. It's the Ford Bronco Raptor. Yeah. And I think we both drove the same eruption green uh, variety with the giant Raptor graphics on it and the big bulging (laughs) hood. This thing just screams power and masculinity uh it's just it for you know guys like me it's just yes i want that it it is eruption green as you noted and people i think need you could go to your website or our website to look at the vehicle yeah uh and it's also covered with graphics and it's also wider very wide so wide that you need the three amber lights in the grill so that uh, it complies with federal (laughs) traffic safety laws but the thing about this vehicle is is that it becomes slightly absurd when less absurd when you drive it. Like it's a really cohesive, well-engineered piece. We can make fun of it all day long, but the Ford engineers really got this thing right, and it's pretty darn livable on the road, and it's absurdly capable off-road. Yeah, I, I one of my notes from driving this car was great road manners and drivability, despite its enormous size, and <laughs> it, it is really, really enormous. You know, it's funny because there are certain vehicles, and this is one of them. And I thought that the TRX was one of them that is just so big when you first get in them you feel a little intimidated yeah and then they just sort of wrap around you as you get further along in the in the week long that we have with the car and i imagine if you own one of these things it'll even just feel like it's just wrapping and getting smaller and smaller around you because you just they drive so well and this one is a 418 horsepower or so (laughs) um if that's not enough the brakes uh or if it's too much the brakes grab really great which is something that ford always does really well and there, there's so much to like about this vehicle. Um, there were a couple of things that, though, I think <laughs> bring you back down to reality. One of which is the absolutely eye-watering price of $75,500. Which is really high. Which is, it's 50% more than you would think you would pay for a Bronco. Yeah. You know, and, and it's, a, it's a bunch of change. And the good news is you lay out that money, you're probably going to get a lot of it back in resale value. True. So you're not going to get hurt that way. Ra- it's Raptors, not like you're buying a Rolls Royce. Raptors do well in that, in that <laughs> regard. But let me tell you what you don't get for that money. All right. You don't get memory seats. You don't get radar cruise control. And uh, you don't get a rear camera mirror. And if you remember correctly, or do you remember when you were looking in the rearview mirror, the tiny little gun slit you were looking through to see what was behind you? Yes. Yeah, it's the, because the spare tire is the giant 33-inch wheel with a huge beadlock-capable <laughs> tire and wheels package on it. So it takes up the practically the entire uh, rear visibility. And then you've got, of course, the Bronco ubiquitous um unbearable wind noise at highway speed <laughs> it just there's nothing they can do about it it's a brick of a vehicle and it doesn't like the the, the wrangler as well they're just yeah. very loud on the highway and every generation of wrangler seems to get slightly quieter 
but not at the same pace as other vehicles. No. So there's really no progress being made there. You can't take the, the roofs out. You know, it's got panels of roofs, so you can go um, topless, and you can put all of those in the back, which is good. You can also take the doors off and put those in the back. So uh, it, it'd be a more fun vehicle in the summertime. I had it in the dead of winter, but uh, definitely a very, very interesting vehicle. I do wish it had a V8, though, only really for the sound, because the exhaust note on this thing is a little weak compared. You, you hear more intake noise than you hear exhaust note. It's not really brawny. This engine is actually borrowed from Lincoln. Really? Yeah, yeah. the three-liter twin six, uh, the, the three-liter uh, V6 twin turbo was borrowed from the Aviator. Yeah. And I believe a version of the Explorer has it too. So it started life as something very refined. Yes, and that it is. And I think Ford does call it Echo Boost or Eco Boost, yes. but I don't think it's actually part of that family of engines. Yeah, I think you're correct on that. So, and ironically enough, Ford made other news this week in launching the Ranger Raptor, which is for the first time going to come to North America. Why they skipped us the first time around, I don't know. I think Americans <laughs> buy a lot of Raptor or anything. <laughs> But we finally get the Ranger Raptor here in the States. It is um, very close, I think, in specs to the Bronco Raptor right. that we drove. Uh, a little down on power, comparatively speaking, as far as horsepower. It's down to 405, but that's about 100 more than you get on a comparable ZX2 uh, or the ATX4 from GMC. So um, very interesting vehicle. It's not out yet, coming out this summer. We hope to probably have a few media copies soon for us to test, but very interesting. It's a funny story there, because with this, there's a whole new Ranger coming over here, uh, starting with 2024, that, that the Raptor's based on. And and for whatever reason, Chevy and GMC in their compact or midsize pickups losing the V6, yeah. right? It's now 2.7 liter turbo, which is a four-cylinder only. Big four. Big four. It's a big honking four. Also borrowed from another division. That's actually a Cadillac engine. I think it is. I, Very yeah. weird. They're all going to their luxury divisions and pulling the engines down, which is a good thing for the lower division because you're getting tech from a more expensive yeah, division. Yeah, you're, you're getting, and it's it's you know proven tech. It's better than the Cimarron where you're moving up <laughs> from the the budget in sticking a Cadillac. Badge I don't, I don't know who listening would remember the Cimarron, but uh, <laughs> if you do, you're cringing right now. I'm just I'm just going to say it. What a piece of crap. Yes. <laughs> The, the Cavalier, when it was based on the Chevy Cavalier, which launched in 82, and the Cavalier was cheap looking. Yes. Like, it was good looking outside, and, and it, on paper it looked okay, but, but if you actually got in it, it was just a collection of really ill-fitting hard plastic. And somehow that became a Cadillac. It was a tragedy. <laughs> yeah, there's, we could do a whole show on uh, up badging a... How about the, the Maserati TC? Uh, you know, uh, just a, a rebadged Chrysler LeBaron. It's the, like I said, it's better now that they're pushing the tech downstream yes. rather yes, than is. pushing the crap upstream. <laughs> <laughs> I was making some point about the Chevys. Oh, because the Chevys lost the V6s. Yes. The Chevy and GMC. And then Ford's picking up because there's also a 2.7 liter turbo that will now be available on the Ranger. Yeah, which is probably out of also the, the old... Um, uh, Nautilus, I think, had that uh, 2.7. Yes, Nautilus and Edge. Yes, and, uh, like and the Edge. Edge Sport. And they had the Edge, uh, the, what was the top line version of that? Um, ST. The ST, yeah. which had a pretty potent version of that. And Edge is going away. and uh, Just crazy. Nautilus is going away. Well, yeah, they're going overseas. <laughs> well, Edge is going away, and then the Nautilus will disappear for a minute, and then it's going to be imported from China. Just the weirdest thing. It is weird, but I guess if the volume isn't there, and they're already building it, but here's the thing about that. 
The tariff on importing a vehicle from China, 27.5%. Oh, wow. Like, there's that, no money left in that this. That just stings. That's, that's, uh, that, that hurts. Because Buick does this and still does this with the Envision. Yeah, they must be able... I mean, you have to make back that in lower production costs, at least, to make that worthwhile. Because I, I was actually shopping Lincoln when we were recently looking... And I was surprised, and I'm always surprised every time I go in, except for when they're running a sale, basically, when, they're, when they'll give you a deep discount. But the sticker prices on those vehicles are really starting, they have already, priced themselves out of contention with a lot of other luxury brands. Because there should be a value proposition. You're shopping a domestic luxury brand like Cadillac or Lincoln. And, mm-hmm. and when you're comparing those to Mercedes and BMW and Audi that are coming from Germany, not built here, although some of them are, but still it's a foreign company, you would think you'd get some, some some kind of a discount, right? And they're really getting up into those pricing areas. And then people just, I think, get turned off, which is why the current Nautilus isn't selling very well, I don't think. And there was nobody in this Lincoln dealership and everybody's all over the Mercedes and the BMW and the Audi dealerships. I can just tell you from foot traffic here in Chicago. I, so I don't see adding a 27.5% tariff being a benefit. No, and Lincoln's, I think, to your point exactly, Lincoln's are too expensive. Yeah. Um, maybe not the Navigator because it's priced right about where the Escalade is, and that's a whole different thing, I think. I agree. But the Corsair, which is based on the Ford Escape, comes in well-equipped at 60K, which is crazy talk. Crazy money. Do you know, you walk into a Genesis dealer and see what you can get for 60K, you'll be shocked. And it's funny because I have a neighbor who actually, I just spied a G70 in her garage. She still has her Lexus RX that she, from like, that's 20 years old, that she just still drives into the city because she won't take her brand new Genesis <laughs> out, which uh, I don't blame her. That's a very nice That's like vehicle. me and new shoes. Exactly, right. No, I totally get what you mean there. But, but you know, you can't do that as Lincoln. You've got to be the one that's, hey, I could buy a Ford Escape or I could spend a little bit more money. Maybe, you know, not insignificant, but not crazy, not double. Uh, and get and get a nice Lincoln instead. You know, it's it, you're you're pulling the ladder up too high, and people can't make the jump from something like an Edge or a or a Escape to a, a Corsair. You know, you're talking about this 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 price uh, these price walls these price barriers. And an interesting point. I just drove the Lexus LX 600. Now that's redesigned now, and that's on on the new Toyota Glo- Global architecture, and it replaced the LX570, which was based on the old Land Cruiser, mm-hmm. and that was a dated old vehicle. Yes, it was. That seemed a little expensive for where it was, but it was priced lower than something like an Escalade or a Navigator, and it was a little smaller too. But the new one is not priced lower, and it isn't any bigger. It is a better vehicle by far. It makes much better use of interior space. It's more refined. It's quieter on the highway, and arguably, I think you can make. A comparison with like an Escalade, but but the, Lexus has made a huge price leap. Yes, with the new vehicles, and they're selling fewer of them. And I'm sure that this is intentional, right? They just want to sell fewer. They're importing them, so they're selling fewer of them, but on, for larger margins, which is what everything is these days. And Lexus does a great job at this because, as you've noted in the past, you know you compare Lexus dealer the number of Lexus dealers right. to the number of Cadillac dealers, for example. What is it, like a third of the... It's some ridiculously yeah. small number. It's better now. Cadillac got rid of a lot of dealers, yeah, they, but it's still 
Cadillac might have close to twice as many still. Right. So, I mean, what that means is the profit per dealer on a Lexus dealership, you're making bank, right? You are actually doing very well. And I can attest is when we went into that, you know, the last time I was here, we talked about the Lexus RX350 that we looked at. Um, and we went into the dealership and it was buzzing. I, I went to open the door on an RX and, it's, and as I'm reaching for it, it's locking from remote that somebody had already bought it and they didn't want anyone in it. Like, it that's the kind of stuff that was going on in that dealership. There, it was packed. It was packed. And you couldn't even order anything. I told you before what they were doing is they were having to order from a lot of cars that Lexus decided this is the color, this is the options, dealers you pick from this bucket of cars. And so, yeah, they, they can sit back and, and go for the high of uh, the low volume, high profit margin. And they do it with some of their other vehicles. The LC Coupe is a, another one of that's yeah. 100,000 plus, and they're not selling a ton of them, but they may probably make a good uh, a good coin on each one of those. And it's not a bad strategy when, you know, it's working for you. And, and as a premium brand, that's what it should be. It shouldn't be, you shouldn't see one on every, uh, you know, every street corner, no. even though up here you kind of do because they still have the legacy of the free car wash and the breakfast from Saturdays that <laughs> <laughs> everybody bought a Lexus in the 90s in my neighborhood because of that. They would go get their car wash. They'd sit down and have a free breakfast. It was this great marketing campaign that bought a lot of loyal customers. In the 90s, early 90s, beginnings of Lexus, if you bought an LS400, for whatever they were going for at the time, was it 40, 45 cases, yep. something like that? You got like the greatest value deal in the history of luxury cars. Ever. It's what Hyundai and Genesis is doing now. Yeah. And in, in providing that value. They're not providing the level yet, I think, of dealership service that Lexus went to with all, just sort of the red carpet they would roll out for you. I don't see that advertised yet. I haven't been to a Genesis only dealership to see if that's the case. Yeah, I think there are very few Genesis only dealerships yet. Yeah. Because that was ugly too. They made some very bad decisions in the early days of Genesis. Right. Where for some reason the G80 midsize sedan was sold at Hyundai dealers, but the G90 large sedan was not. Very confusing. So weird. <laughs> it was dumb. But, uh, but and those were the only vehicles they had for a while too. Right. And they were pretty anonymous. They were good. But, you know, that Lexus story tells you that if you invest, you invest some, because that had to cost them a ton of money to do what they did. So they basically, you know, brought in all of these really loyal customers to the brand and to the dealership. And that dealership experience is still key to, to Lexus's success in that you are treated like royalty at a Lexus dealer. And I think that it's really important that other manufacturers sort of take a look and see what works because that's paying dividends. We're talking about something that happened in the nineties. Yeah, and we remember thirty it. years later, and we all remember it. Yeah, and, and and we don't have time to talk about this today. We got to get to our guest, but but early Lexus and Infinity advertising was spectacular too. Because it's just all about advertising. And, I mean, all about luxury. Yes, and they made it very clear. And all those dealers had to be standalone dealers. And they had to treat people very, very well. And unfortunately, Infinity didn't have the product that Lexus had. No. They, we would be talking about them right now. I had a few free lunches at a, an Infinity dealer when we bought a QX60. <laughs> unfortunately, we had the lemon the first one going to your point that the product wasn't quite there. Yeah. What a shame. Well, great conversation, sir. We have to take a break. We're going to talk to Larry Newton from uh, the Auto Channel. Can't wait. All right. Stick around. Questions or comments? Drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That's carstuff at consumerguide.com. Welcome. 
Welcome back to the Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel. With us today is Brendan Appel of the Sons of Speed. No relation. We didn't even mention that. Yeah, we always forget. We always but forget, but people might think that we're brothers or something. What, what I love about it is that we both say and spell it correct, uh, the, yeah. the same way, which does it, you know, it'd be really awkward if you were pronouncing it Apple, which it is not. No, everyone else did. Yes, I, yeah. I'm well Great aware. school was hell. Yes, it was. <laughs> that was my new nickname when I was in grade school. Oh, all right. This is the time of the show where I usually remind people that I am on Twitter. I am Car Guy Tom. That is Car underscore Guy underscore Tom on Twitter. I promise to entertain our guest today. Our guest today is a man who has a very lengthy and interesting resume. Uh, he is currently the, the Chicago correspondent for the, uh, the Auto Channel. He spent time with Campbell Ewald. He is uh, a former Volkswagen employee and a mechanical engineer. Larry, I'm going to let you explain this. Welcome. Welcome, Larry Newton. Thanks, Tom. It's great to be with you. You know what they say, an apple a day keeps the teacher away. So anyway. Um, but you're here. Like you're I'm, the teacher. <laughs> I'm a teacher. Anyway. the apples. Yeah. <laughs> how, was, how was Brendan and Tom? Are you doing well? We're doing good. We're doing great, Larry. Good to talk to great. you. Great. Great. Uh, great to be with you today. I appreciate it very much. Larry, Larry just uh, I didn't do your resume justice. Tell us a little bit about what you've done. <laughs> what have I done? Uh, how far back do you want to go? You know, as they oh, say, 63. I was born, go back to 63. I was, I was born at a very early age. Go back to 1963. <laughs> in, in, in 1963, I all of a sudden became very involved in automotive drag racing, okay? Oh, that and was I a good that, year to start. I did, I did that for about seven or eight years and finally said, okay, um, maybe this is not what I want to be doing for the rest of my life, especially since... It took place on Saturdays and Sundays when, you know, you wanted to have some fun with your friends. Um, but I moved on uh, with my engineering education completed um, and actually got into the military defense business for a while. Uh, but then I discovered I could work. And by the way, I grew up on the East Coast, if you haven't figured that out from how I speak a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I figured out I could go to work for a car company without moving to Detroit, and that was Volkswagen. And I ultimately spent 25 years from Vol with Volkswagen. Wow! Um, and by and by the way, ironically, they moved me to Detroit. So. <laughs> wow! That, so that didn't really work. It did for a while. So, it did for a while. It did for a while. Anyway, so so here we are today. Fast forward. I'm I'm trying to retire again, but I've got myself <laughs> deeply in, deeply entrenched in electric vehicles um, since that's the that's the thing today. That's where we're going. And, and, you know, we're not there yet, and it's going to be a while. Let me begin with that. Um, I was reminded recently that the electric vehicle was rented, invent, invented excuse me, back in 1884 in England, and here we are now, 139 years later, and, oh, we're starting to play with them now. Uh, <laughs> it's kind of interesting. Um, back in the 1960s, there was some development. There was more development in the 1980s and 1990s. And as a matter of fact, coming to Volkswagen, in 1991, 1992, I gave demonstration drives in an all-electric, battery-powered VW Golf around a proving ground in Dearborn, Michigan, okay? It was a big conference on alternate fuel vehicles. Um, and I had, and by the way, you're going to ask, what kind of battery did it have? It was a nickel I, metal hydride battery. I was going to ask. Battery, okay? I was going to so ask. It wasn't, it wasn't lithium ion. It was a nickel metal hydride battery, Okay. Um, so yeah, and here we are, you know, now in the 2000s, um, and I have to say, 
the automobile industry did a great job in the early 2000s by bringing really good electrification to, to, to the mass market today. And I'm talking about battery-powered electric cars. I'm talking about hybrid electric vehicles. I'm talking about plug-in hybrid electric vehicles. They were really good. The first, the first mass market electric cars started to appear 2010, 2011. You'll, remiss, you'll remember the, the first, the, the Chevy Volt EV, which was actually a hybrid. Yep. The, the Mitsubishi IMEV. And actually, the Mitsubishi IMEV was the first all-electric car I ever drove. Uh, in, in this new stage of life here, um, here in Chicago, and it's got a, had a driving range of 60 miles. Yep. So six, 60 miles driving range in a gasoline engine car, I'd be going to the next gas station, you know? Um, but I quickly learned driving around, and I live right in the city of Chicago, I quickly learned, wow, I just did a lots of stuff driving around. I went to the grocery store, I went to the dry cleaners, I stopped at the pharmacy, I had a cup of coffee, and I just went 10 miles, that's all, you know? Um, so the point is I'm making here is, um, actually the point really is electric vehicles are very well suited for city use, They're very well suited for city use. Um, it, it's another thing to talk about them out on the open road and on the highway. Yeah, um, Larry, I want to ask I, you about the iMeve though. Um, with Consumer Guide had one for a year, and it was a really long year. Um <laughs> <laughs> And so, so Mitsubishi did this. It was it was absolutely proof of concept, and the vehicle worked well. And it was almost fun to drive if you fit in it, which I did not, by the way. But what? But why did Mitsubishi stop with that? They had a vehicle. I, you know, you know, I, I don't know why. Quite frankly, why they stopped with it. Maybe maybe they weren't getting the sales. You know, they wanted with it. I, I actually I don't know the answer to that. Why it stopped? Quite frankly, um, you know. But more came along. The Nissan Leaf came along. The Chevy yep. Bolt came along. Um, I think I over the last year I've driven a dozen different electric vehicles and they perform wonderfully. They perform great. Um, they're very comfortable, and you guys have driven them too. They're very comfortable. Um, they're roomy. They come in forms of sedans or hatchbacks or or uh, small crossovers, um, even big crossovers or bigger crossovers. I just drove the all-electric uh, Genesis all-electric GV70. What a wonderful car! We were just um, talking about that off air. Yeah. You know, it's 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 really really a nice vehicle, um, and actually, I had I had experience not so long ago a revisit to the Nissan Leaf, which has been around how long, eight or nine years, something like that. Um, um, it's got to be longer. I think it was 2011, but I might be wrong. 2010, yeah, 2000, one of the first about ones. the same time um, as Volt. Yeah, it's one of the, it's one of the first ones on the market, um, and I think I think I think that comes in two versions. There's one with 170 miles driving range, and there's one with like 230 miles driving range, the all-wheel drive version. Um, and even Nissan views this car as a second household, a second car in the household. Right. And that's how I personally see EVs today. We are we are we are at the beginning of this transformation to an electrified vehicle fleet in the world. Um, and and and. We're remaking transportation, and we're not all of a sudden going to flip the switch and everybody's driving EVs. If I use the word flip the switch here, that's kind of electric-related. <laughs> um, it, it's not going to happen. Um, and actually, my advice to anybody today is to think hard about their usage scenario, their usage pattern, how they drive a vehicle to figure out what really works for them and would an EV work for them. Um and I'm actually, my first question for everybody is, 
do you have a garage? Yes. You, right. you need to be able to, you need to be able to charge at home, not just plugging it into the same outlet you plug your toaster in, but it needs you need to have a 220 charger at home to charge the vehicle overnight and actually to keep it inside um, out of the elements, depending upon where you live in the United States, okay? Um, and what was supposed to happen, I talked about, you know, the automobile industry bringing electrification to vehicles in the 2000s. What was supposed to happen in the 2010s was infrastructure was supposed to happen, <laughs> and it, did, it didn't. You it know, didn't happen. It did not. And now, and now here we are. Ten years after that, and it's finally starting to happen. It's finally starting to happen. Let me um, let me ask you an infrastructure question, and I ask people this, and this will absolutely make Brandon cringe. I promise you, <laughs> it, I absolutely will. But do you think that the charging station situation was exacerbated by the fact that the government didn't make this a utility? That private enterprise went in, operated independently, operated independently of of the different companies putting stuff up, and now we have this this mishmash of, of a network of charging stations that are unrelated, have different standards, and and really there's a lot of technological stuff they need to sift through because the reliability rate is so bad. Well, that's a really interesting question, and it probably goes back to uh, which direction was the federal government or any state government pushed to, pushing the automobile makers relative to trying to address climate change um, and, and the need to have even more clean vehicles to get rid of, you know, the use, the burning of carbon fuels. Um, I, you know, that's really, wow, that's a political question, Tom, you know, um, and, you know, we're, we're, we're in, we're in, we're in, we're presently in uh, a federal administration in Washington, D.C. The previous administration in Washington, D.C. was very different, and I'm going to leave it at that. Sure. Um, and now and now we have the Inflation Reduction Act, which was passed last year, which has brought about the NEVI program, which is the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, with the objective to install charging stations along the interstate highway system every 50 miles, which will eliminate this this range anxiety along the 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 the, the long national corridor of roadways right um hey larry let me ask you a quick question uh along those lines you know what you know what every 50 miles i see on the highway a gas station why do you think <laughs> that gas stations didn't adopt a portion of their real estate to charging it would have been easy just to put chargers in the corner of the gas station where people are stopping anyway and they've already got the facilities. They've already got the concessions. So I looked at that as a lost opportunity. It is, and and that is exactly where Tesla is sneaking stations in. Oh, they're smart then. There's 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 small Tesla stations, not clearly marked, with like six or a dozen chargers along the interstate, and they're buried behind gas stations and places like that. Other charging networks should have done that. Yeah, it seemed like a no-brainer because they're they're you know you know this Larry we we try to charge a car it's hidden behind a Walmart or in the middle of nowhere and uh, it just doesn't make any sense. It's you've got the yeah, uh, you've got the locations already. Just put the chargers in there. You know, I would have I would have I would have loved to have been a fly on the wall in two meetings. Two meetings. Number one was the meeting at the automakers where they were discussing moving forward with electric vehicles. And, and then they had the conversation about how are we going to charge them. I would like to have heard what everybody said at that meeting, okay? Because what's really happened is 
electric vehicles have gone into production and the automakers themselves really haven't done a lot to take care of charging infrastructure, except for Tesla. Tesla has done a really good job. Um, I also have to say, in the world, China is first, Europe is second, and we are third relative to the adoption of electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And automakers only want to make one car, meaning they want to make a car one way. They don't want to make a car six different ways. I remember in my Volkswagen days going to Europe before the EU existed, and there was a car for Italy, there was a car for France, and then the little difference over here. And then, of course, the UK needs right-hand drive cars. The car companies don't want to do that. They want to make a car one way, make it work for the world. And, of course, there's been tremendous harmonization of emissions, of emission and safety standards uh, now that have helped make that happen. Um, so the second, the second place, the second meeting I would have liked to have been, and let's take the example of Electrify America, which has installed charging station network around the country. When they were deciding to go forward with this, which is a business where they want to eventually try to make money, um, they were saying, okay, who are we going to partner with who's got real estate? And, you know, and they went, they went for the big locations. Right down the, me- the street from me is a target with DC fast chargers, and I use them frequently um, when I've got an EV. It's very convenient. I go down the street. I can charge the car um, as needed. Um, there's, there's more chargers at Walmart. There's charges at Costco and so on. There were charges, as you know, Tom, at Walgreens, I believe. Yep. So they, they, they partnered with network network com- companies that had a network of, of real estate all around the United States to enable this to happen. But I think now they're, they're probably rethinking that. And of course, we've had, we've become aware that they're not in the necessarily necessarily very favorable locations, as you mentioned, mentioned, Brendan. You know, they're stuck behind the building. They're in dark locations. They're not covered. Um, they need to, be, as we know, they need to be in safe places out in brightly lit places. They need to have a covering over the head, over the head, so when there's pouring rain or it's snowing out, you can get out there and plug your car in and charge it, okay? Um, so, you know, there's a lot has to happen here, and I think a lot of this is is... People are learning as we go. That's that's how I kind of see it, and it's going to it's going to get better. One of the, the problems um, too, Larry, and you just touched on that, is if you're looking for an EV charging station off the interset, off the interstate. And Jill, regular co-host Jill Simonillo, has mentioned this because she drives from Chicago to Indianapolis fairly frequently. Is that the, one of the charging stations she goes to is nowhere near the interstate? It's off like a couple of miles or something crazy like that. So you've got uh, you've got the Cracker Barrel and the Shell station right there in the prime real estate. But if you want to charge your EV, you may have to travel off road a little bit, which is is a bummer. That adds ten minutes to your drive. It takes longer. Maybe you don't feel good about going that far off the interstate, but. And I think that that's, this all came about because at the beginning, and we're still sort of in the beginning, it takes a long time to charge some of these cars up. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are just getting into the realm of 18 minutes from 10 to 90 uh, or 10 to 80 in the eGMP platform from the Hyundai Group. Yeah. But early on, I think these people like Electrify America were thinking, it's going to take a while to charge this thing. Let's put it somewhere where somebody can go shopping and then just leave the car plugged in. Makes sense. But they, I think they failed to imagine that 
that would improve rapidly. And so now we need to sort of get also involved with something that's closer to the interstate because people will be able to charge their cars in enough time. We're going to the bathroom and getting a few snacks from the inside of the convenience store is going to be enough time. You raise a great point because back when the only electric vehicles are on the road were the Leaf and the iMeve, mm-hmm. I, think, I think that even the, the companies that were going to service that industry viewed it as a hobby. So they were throwing in these level two stations at places like Walgreens, and, and there wasn't that didn't turn out to be the basis for infrastructure now. In fact, we had to start over. Yeah. And level three charging, even the Chevrolet Bolt, which is being discontinued soon, but modern, long range, nice vehicle, uh, only charges at a 60 kilowatt hour rate, or kilowatt rate. Slow. So it's slow. It's going to take you most of an hour to charge that bad boy. Right. And so I've always said that, you know, Larry, you've driven probably a lot in Europe. I would take it given your your long history. And uh, as you say, you were born very, uh, what was the phrase (laughs) early on? uh, But uh, (laughs) so, you know, out there, when you travel the interstate, you stop at these beautiful, and I mean beautiful, roadside stops with restaurants and really nice bathrooms and just it, it's almost like a destination in and of itself yeah but it's their service station but it's so much more than just a u.s gas station and i've always thought okay if you're going to have to spend half an hour 30 40 minutes whatever it is charging a vehicle you want to be at a place like that and they could accommodate gas they could accommodate the electric infrastructure they could even probably accommodate you know cng or something like that and um and then have this really nice inside area and you see it at rest you know at certain uh rest stops or welcome stations at at certain states but that's the kind of place that they could really do and then it has the added benefit of getting you and your eyes off the road you sort of get a chance to recharge yourself because uh cars can only do so much with uh, the loose nut behind the wheel which (laughs) gets tired and 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 to your point too people people whine a little bit about having to stop someplace for 20 minutes or whatever but i think that's how long people usually stop for anyway exactly they don't think that and you need it yeah really your body needs it your mind needs it so you need to refresh in 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 my in my younger years you know i would I would do a quick pit stop, stop for gas, grab a sandwich, and do. if I had to visit the relief room, I would go and then get back in the car. And I would eat that sandwich while I was driving. I don't do that anymore, you know? And and to the point of, you know, comparing different um, refueling areas in the United States, every state is different. If I go to Ohio, they have, they have, uh, they have, um, they have few refueling stops on the highway, right on the highway. You don't have to exit. You don't have to go off. If I drive across Michigan, I've got to get off and exit, go to a gas station, get back back on the highway. Um, I recently learned, um, talking about infrastructure and locations, and I participated in a meeting with some folks in the state of Illinois about building out the NEVA system, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure System. It's against the federal law to put a commercial establishment in an interstate rest stop. How about really? that? What? So, so in other words, that's why there's no Starbucks at an interstate restaurant really? because it's against the federal law. But there's um, there's crappy vending machines. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's okay. This sounds like vending machines are what that's what's allowed. This sounds like um, a problem therefore, with a fix yeah. in, in, in the, yeah. you know in sight. Yeah. Well, we, I, I we can agree. get cheese but not we, a latte. We, you were saying change, let's change. 
yeah, change the law, you know? Okay. Yeah, um, that's something I think everybody I, could get behind because there's no yeah. reason to have rest stops without any sort of commercialization there. I mean, it's, yeah. I get that maybe this was yeah. something they were trying to protect the public from unscrupulous $9, yeah. you know, hamburgers yeah. from McDonald's, but yeah. free maps can only go so far. Mm. But, but, but coming back to this whole conversation, I have to say, I don't think we should complain about where we are today or view today as the future. The future is going to, it's going to change. It's going to get better. It's going to take time. Um, I personally think it's going to take three to five years to see something decent in the way of infrastructure change. Mm. Um, some people are obje- some people are optimistic it's going to be by the end of this year or early next year. I don't think so. I'm I writing that down, Larry. Long- three to five years. I'm writing that down. Yeah, I don't. Well, I, I think it'll be better by then. Okay, uh, there'll be more charging stations. There'll be uh, around the highway system that will enable you to travel longer distances. I firmly believe EVs are very well suited for city, cities. They're very well suited as a second car in a household. If you're going to take your car to the train station in the suburbs and take the train into the city, beautiful. If you're going to drop the kids at school, go to the grocery store, pick the kids up at school, go back home again, beautiful. It's going to work great. I, You know, my typical driving pattern in Chicago in a week is I put about 100 to 120 miles on the car. That's it. And as you know, EVs today, mm-hmm. and and I just looked at some data, the the median driving range of all the EVs now on the market is 257 miles. Okay? That's solid. So I, I can drive around all week, and I'm used, if you will, half of the charge in the, in, in, in the vehicle. And as you know, we have regenerative braking. I kind of tell everybody, I can drive three miles and only use two miles of charge because of regenerative braking. And I personally use regen braking all the time around the city. There you go. Um, I'm, I'm very good at one foot driving, if people understand that. Um, Larry, we have run so, out of time. But uh, if you could, tell us about your, your weekly news update on the Auto Channel and uh, where we can find you on Twitter. Yeah, I, I put together a, a, a summary of weekly uh, automotive news. It could be motorsports. It could be auto shows. It could be new car reveals. It's it good could stuff. be what's going on. It, there's a lot of politics today about EVs, tremendous amount of politics about EVs. Um, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a moving target, let me say it that way. You can find me on Twitter at number one Chicago car guy. So it's the number one Chicago car guy. I'm also on Instagram at Chicago underscore car underscore guy. I always have interesting photos. Um, I like yes, vintage you do. cars. So I, if I find a good vintage car in the streets of Chicago, I usually have a photo up there, okay? Or, Sounds good. Um, or I, I, or, I, or I, in the I, streets I, of, uh, was it Charlotte? Uh, where do you go in the Carolinas? Tra- Charleston, Charleston. In the streets of anywhere. In the streets of anywhere. You I've know? seen those. I, I saw a beetle, a beetle out on I-55 the other day, and I, a vintage beetle. I tried to get a photo of it while I was driving mm, fast, um, I, and the photo didn't come out, okay? <laughs> that happens all the time. And, yeah, anyway. Um, uh, well, Larry, thank you so much for joining us today. Hopefully it was helpful. It was, um, and, I think. And, 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 and my point is, for everybody, you really need to think hard about how our car will fit into your household, no matter what it is, okay? Sounds good. Larry, thanks All a right, lot. guys. Thank you. Take care. Take care, Larry. Bye-bye. Thank you. That was Larry Newton with the Auto Channel. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, it's quiz time. Stick around. Questions or comments? Drop us a line at carstuff at consumerguide.com. That's carstuff at consumerguide.com. 
Welcome back to the Car Stuff Podcast. All right, we're back. This is the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast, and I am Tom Appel, publisher of Consumer Guide Automotive. Darn glad you stuck around today. Hey, man. Hey, Tom. I'm You're Tom. Tom. Yeah. I'm Brendan. Hey, Brendan. Uh, how can people follow the Sons of Speed uh, in social media? There is a lot of ways. The best way to be go to our website which you can reach at sonsofspeed.com. Lower right-hand corner will get you all the little Excellent. gizmos. I like to call them gizmos. Get you to our Facebook page, our Instagram, our, uh, we have TikTok, um, but I don't talk about it like Jill does. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, then, uh, and then find us on uh, Facebook. It's Sons of Speed, Redline Your Soul. We'll get you to our Facebook page, or easier yet, we are motor-driven. So Sounds yeah. good. Yeah. What are they called? Widgets? What are they? There's a name for them. Favicons, I think, or something. Oh, because oh, we just redesigned the consumer guide. I'm, I'm getting emails during while we're talking. I'm getting updates on the site. Oh, excellent. On the site. But uh, it only took us a year and a half to get our new website up. So I, I hope you didn't have that. And you guys got a new URL, too. Right. You were, you were dealing with hyphens or something. For yeah, so we lost the hyphen. So it's just sonsofspeed.com um, or We Are Motor Driven. We Are Motor Driven will get you to the dot com will get you to the main page and sons of speed will get you to uh our specific page but you can fly around that website and see four different automotive outlets reviews and thoughts that's, on things that's good value it is very good value it's one free. click yes and it's all free <laughs> all right it is uh it is quiz time last time you were here yes i didn't have a bonus question no but i, I lost i it. answered it on the way home yes and i got it right <laughs> It was about uh, dog names, if I remember. It is. It's not about dog uh, dog names this time. Uh, I'm, this is probably the last I'm going to do of an automotive uh, automotive model versus some other thing. Oh, I like those. Yeah, I think you'll like today's. It's Maserati or Cocoa Bean. Oh, awesome. So I need you to tell me. I'm going to read you a proper noun. You're going to have to tell me if it's a Maserati model name or a variety of Cocoa Bean. Okay. Are you ready? I am ready. Right. Is there Oliver B? Chubasco. <laughs> Chewbacca? Chubasco. C H U B A S C O. Chubasco. Is that a Maserati model? Or is that a cocoa bean variety? That that's gotta be a cocoa bean. <laughs> Please tell me it's a cocoa bean. Is that your answer? Cocoa that is bean? my answer. Uh, it's a concept car from 1990 oh to 1991. Gosh. Yeah, the Maserati concept car. It was dubbed the 348. Have they seen Star Wars in English? <laughs> They would have in 1991. I would, I would think so. The Chubasco. The Chubasco, yeah. It was dubbed the Ferrari killer. All right. Well, I have no points. But there was, uh, they never built the thing. Yes. Uh, Brendan, you have no points. Thank you very much. <laughs> I will try to improve. All right. Um, the Forestero. Oh, that sounds a lot like the Subaru Forester. The Forestero. And the Cocoa Bean is the other option. Yes, is this a cocoa bean or is it a Maserati? Oh, that is hard because they do, uh, you know, have forests of cocoa trees, I would assume, or leaves, plants. What do they call those things? I don't know. Uh, I'm not a botanist, that's for sure. Um, the Forestero. It, it, it sounds like a car. I'm going to go Maserati. That is a bean. Jeez. That is a bean. I'm just over the day right yeah, now. Yeah, you've, well, you've got four more chances to get three points. Okay. I actually somehow started with the second question, so we'll go to the first one, and that is the Criollo, C-R-I-O-L-L-O. My goodness. <laughs> um, I have not heard of any of these beans or cars. Criollo. Criollo. 
It would have to sound Italian, good in Italian. Yeah, you could make that. There you go. Roll. I'm going to say Maserati. Oh, that's a cocoa bean. Jesus, Louise. <laughs> uh, from Spain. It's a very high-quality, low-bitterness bean. You are 0 for 3. There's but- someone in a car club, a Maserati car club right now, who's just smacking his radio or I hope there is. Going, you idiot. That's a, Everyone knows that one. Uh, you ready for another one? I, uh, I, th- I guess so. All right. The Kayalami. Kayalami. Yeah, K-Y-A-L-A-M-I, the Kayalami. Right. By process of elimination, because I've missed so many cocoa beans, I'm still going Maserati. This is a Maserati. All right. Built between 76 and 83. Looks like the Maserati Bi-Turbo. Or was okay. It, was that, that was a bi turbo or B turbo? I always called it the bi. Bi turbo? Yeah. Yeah, famous Bicycle, car. Bicycle, two, two wheels. People may not remember this car, but in the 80s, it was famous for being very fast, yes. very good looking, yeah. and very flammable. Yes, and yes. unreliable generally, but yes, flammable too. Yeah, the uh, engine fires were just uh, notorious. Beautiful car, though. Yeah. Maserati makes beautiful vehicles. Yeah, that was a good one. You are on the board. You have one. You need to get the next two. Okay. Uh, one more regular question, and then we have the bonus question. Uh, Brendan, the uh, Trinitario. The, how do you spell that? T-R-I-N-I-T-A-R-I-O. That's got to be did a I th- car. Did I throw another letter in there? It doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> I get the general concept. I'm going to say Maserati. No. Oh, no. No, this is a cocoa bean from the Philippines. This is the first time I've lost. Oh. You do have the bonus question, though, so. Which I I hope it's a good one. I'm sure it is. Brendan. Yes, sir. Now a product of the Mandela's portfolio of snack foods, Chips Ahoy cookies have been around since 1963. I love Chips Ahoy when I was a kid. Happy 60th birthday to Chips Ahoy. Happy birthday. Uh, Brendan, according to the Mandela's website... Which of the following is a fake Chips of Hoy, uh, Chips of, Chips of Hoy? <laughs> say that 10 times fast. <laughs> I can't say it once. <laughs> chips of Chips of Hoy variety. I need the fake. You need, you need the apostrophe after the O. It's not Chips of Hoy. It's yeah, Chips of Hoy. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm actually wrote it right. I'm just reading it weird. It's been a long day. Uh, ready? Yes, I All am. right. Now, these are your varieties. Chunky, Reese's, Chewy, Salted Caramel. Okay, I know the chunky and the chewy are actual varieties. That's good because the chunky are really good. Aren't they good? Yeah. Oh, and they, so is Reese's or what was the last one? Salted caramel. I want to say I've seen a salted caramel chips ahoy. I want to say that I have. And Reese's would be an amazing collaboration there. It would you be. You know what? I went to a movie last night at the AMC in Northbrook here in Illinois. What would you see? Uh, we saw the... Um, book club movie Mm. it's another chapter whatever it's called it's a sequel um don't recommend the movie (laughs) but i was appalled at low to know that uh they had run out of reese's pieces well that's not good which is just criminal like you can't run a movie theater and not have cases of reese's no and you know what you know they had they certainly had like non-perials or the stuff that no one actually ever wants everything that nobody wants and has never heard of is was on the shelf what is it no the non-perials and snow caps yeah those things who eats those i don't know (laughs) everyone who eats those is on the verge of death like yeah there's no one under 80 no no and they still have them if you haven't tried popcorn with reese's pieces at the same like take a a pop a mouthful of popcorn pop uh, one reese's in there it's the best thing you've ever had. That sounds good. So yeah, I had to. I eat would my totally do that without the Reese's. Unfortunately, I will say the Reese's variety is the fake one. No, the salted caramels. Are oh, fake. oh man, I am just having a bad day. Although you brought me donuts, so it's not that bad. That's good. So you got a sugar fix. Mm-hmm. 
What have you guys got going on uh, this week? Anything new going up? We just posted a review of the BMW M2. Oh. Uh, which, um, you know, in that... Uh, Delightful little car. And that fantastic blue color, too. Um, it's got a name. I will find it in a second. But it's the manual variety. So, of course, we love it. Um, you and Paul were talking about it uh, last mm-hmm. week, I think, or maybe the week before. Um. And uh, so that review is up at sonsofspeed.com. Just click on the reviews and you'll see that. And you will also see our preview there of the Ranger Raptor. We just briefly touched on in the first segment, um, but a fantastic um, sort of preview as to what's coming on the Ranger Raptor front. And I think, you know, they should Raptor kind of everything. I just, I love that name. I love the treatment. <laughs> Raptor's a good name. It is. It's such a good name. It's a good name. They, they branded a great name there. What do you got going on at uh, Consumer Guide on your new website? I am. I'm working on, and it's been taking me forever to find the time to finish this review, and I'm doing a review of the 2023 Volvo S60 Recharge. Yes. Is it called Dark Edition? Black Edition. I think Black Edition. Everyone's got one. Tell you yeah. It's got their yeah. and, shade or something. And this is their, their sedan that's just a little bit smaller than other people's midsize sedans, but it's bigger than a compact. It's good size it's, if you're not my size. It's frequently a loner when I take my XC90 in. Is it? Yeah, so I end up driving a lot of the S60s. And, and like virtually every Volvo built right now, it's a good car, but in electric mode, it's a much better car. Is it? Volvo's two-liter turbocharged engine, uh, though spunky, not all that refined. It is as diesel-y sounding an engine yes. from the outside as you can get without it actually being a diesel. And I actually, so I've got the XC90 with that motor in it, and I have my dad's R-Class, which is a 320 diesel. Mm-hmm. The Volvo is louder <laughs> at idle, just sitting, just from the outside of the car. I want to pause for a moment and just acknowledge that you're near an R-Class diesel. Yes. Which is a very rare version of a very rare vehicle. It is. What a wonderful vehicle the R-Class was. It, it was. It's the best road trip vehicle you can really kind of get. It's just, it, it's such a comfy vehicle. For, for people who don't remember the R-Class, it was very close to a minivan in, in general proportions and, and design, except it had side opening doors. It yes. didn't have sliding doors. And it was explained to me by someone from Mercedes-Benz that the deal was the front row had the room of an S-Class. Mm-hmm. The second row had the room of an E-Class. True. And the third row, the room of a C-Class. And you could put adults in the third row. Oh, we, we have many, yeah. many times. So you had six people. It, it holds six. I don't know if you could ever get a bench in the back. Maybe you could, but ours is captain's chairs in the second row. And uh, my dad bought this thing used, as he he always loved to do, because he's one of the (laughs) frugal type that, uh, you know, let somebody else hit the the depreciation hit. And um, it's got 160-some thousand miles on it now. Uh, We have put a little bit of work into it, but really not a lot. And the engine transmission has been running strong. And it's all the other stuff. It's the air suspension stuff that really gets you in. I've known R-Class owners who had air suspension issues. Yeah, they almost always leak. And so it's – but – so uh, point being, though, that the Volvo – Two liter is definitely a rattly, kind of raspy, and and not in a good way idling engine. From the inside, you don't hear it. No, nope. but from from the outside, people will look. Oh, is that a diesel? And every version of that engine produces 
really good power that yes. gets to the ground nicely and surprisingly good fuel economy. Yeah. But it's just not that nice. But if you if you drive a plug-in hybrid like the Recharge, mm. you have 40 miles of incredible smoothness in a car that is otherwise really good. Yeah. <laughs> so And they're and they're going that way. I mean, that, that two-liter probably isn't long for this earth and no. N- no gasoline engine in a Volvo will be. But which really kind of begs the question, you know, because Polestar was that electric spinoff at Volvo. Mm-hmm. Now Volvo is going to be electric and all of these car, car companies that decided they were going to spin off their electrics like Scout is. Yeah, are now to, going electric. So you're just going to compete with yourself or how is that going to work in 10 years when you're all electric yourself? Larry says we're going to know in three to five years. Three to five. <laughs> all right. This has been the Consumer Guide Car Stuff Podcast. Brendan, thank you so much for filling in today. Always my pleasure. Our thanks to Larry Newton of the Auto Channel. We're going to link to his stuff. Uh, thank you to producer Randy and the good folks here at TalkZone. Let's have some fun and talk more about cars again next week. Remember to check us out at ConsumerGuide.com. The Car Stuff Podcast is produced by J-Turn Media. To advertise on the show, please drop us a line at CarStuff at ConsumerGuide.com.